Matthew 5, 21-26 You have heard that it is said with those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First go be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Thanks, Andy. So good morning, everybody. Just as a little bit of a reminder, in two weeks, we've got the Fall Fest. You guys ready for this? If you've not been a part of our Fall Fest before, it is a lot of fun. Both being at the Fall Fest proper, (laughs) but also getting a chance to work with other people and put together a booth and to prepare and to get ready. It's a lot of fun. So I hope that everybody will get involved, find a place to get involved, because we need all the people that we can get to be there. Also, invitations, you know, both to come to the event itself and to get involved with working on, on the different booths that we're putting together. You'd be surprised how much people just have fun doing that kind of stuff. Out at our information center, there are some invitations out there to help you uh, let people know about what we're doing and see if they might be interested in coming. Okay, so if uh, you're new to us, if this is your first week here, my name is Alan. And we are in a series of lessons called... You want me to do what? And what we're doing, as, as, I mean, that's intended to be kind of humorous, but the reality is, is, as followers of Jesus, we want to know what Jesus wants us to do. And then what we find is, a lot of times we find ourselves asking, uh, you want me to do what? Because it isn't clear. Or because it seems outrageous. And nowhere will you find more of those you want me to do what kind of questions than in the Sermon on the Mount itself, which is Jesus' largest chunk of teachings that we have together in one place in the entire Bible. So what we've been doing each week is we've just been taking it as it comes, a line at a time, looking at what Jesus teaches and asking, what do you want me to do? And when we come across the you want me to do what's, to try to work through those and unpack it so that we can get our fingers around it so we can serve Jesus better. So last week, we looked at what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to go deeper. He wants us to go deeper than just following rules. Jesus wants us to obey God in an internal, heart-level way. If you weren't here for that, I'd encourage you to go back and to look at it because a lot of what we covered there, we're going to be basing some of the next coming lessons off of. In the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's telling his disciples, his apprentices, about the kingdom of God and the highest ethic of that kingdom, which is what? Love. Yeah, the highest ethic of the kingdom of God is to love. But like we talked about last week, love doesn't always mean the same things to everybody. Fortunately for us, Jesus has given us a little more information about what love really is, what agape, godly love is about, and that is about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And if you wonder where I got that, I'd encourage you to go back and look at last week because I kind of took us through that then and I don't have enough time to go back through it again today. 
The passage that Andy just read is where Jesus starts to explain what exactly this means, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and what it looks like, what it looks like in action and in our daily lives. So now, it's a very interesting chunk of, of, of verses that we've looked at here, because Jesus, in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, is giving us three scenarios. Did you catch that? And what he's doing there is something, it's a literary device, I guess you'd call it. It's called a Hebrew parallelism. Everybody knows what Hebrew parallelism is, right? I mean, I'm sure you talk about Hebrew parallelism at the water cooler on Monday mornings, right? Hebrew parallelism is a way of saying the same three, same thing, three different ways. And the reason he's doing that is because he really wants us to get to the heart of this. He wants to explain what God was getting at when he commanded them not to murder. And see, Jesus starts with something that they already knew and accepted. Thou shalt not murder is from Exodus 20, verse 13. It's actually the sixth of the Ten Commandments. You guys are familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? It's number six on the list. So the guys that he's talking to, they already knew and accepted that murder is not okay with God. And we are that way too, right? Is there anybody here who thinks murder is fine? Because if we do, I may have to back up a step. (laughs) I think most places in the world today, though I can't guarantee all of them, know that murder is wrong. But do we know why murder is wrong? Other than just the idea that God said don't do it. Anybody got a guess why God told us not to murder? What's wrong with it? Say again, Bob. Violating someone. Oh man, you are so on top of it. Yes, I'm going to get there though. <laughs> and I'm going to start by, to get to, if you didn't hear what Bob said, it's about violating somebody's rights, which is fundamentally an act of injustice. So if love and what God requires of man is to do justice, love mercy and walk faithfully, walk humbly with his God, with our God, then violating someone's right violates the ultimate ethic of the kingdom, which is to love. But I'm going to back up a step and, and lead us to that. Genesis 9, verses 6 through 7, God said, Whoever sheds human blood, by human hands shall their blood be shed. Why? He's talking about murder. Why is murder a big deal? He says it in the next sentence. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Why is murder wrong? Because, yeah, we're going to get to where Bob Bob took us, but I want you to understand the math here because it makes a difference. We are made in the image of God. In verse 7, he says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. See, humans are made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means that we were made to image God. Being made in His image is a job description. We might even think of it as a verb. We are made to image God. And apparently, God wanted them to make lots of humans to do the job. Because look what he says in verse 7. He says, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. God wants a big family. He intends for humans 
all humans that he created to bear his image and to do that job of bearing his image on the earth. And what that gets to is that God has a right to every human life. Would you agree with me? He's the creator, right? He has a right to every human life. He created human beings to image him in this world, and he deserves to have human life do what he created it to do. Murder is wrong because it denies the creator his right to his own creation. Following the logic? How you doing? You with me? Because I, I promise you I am going somewhere with this. Murder is an act of injustice against both God and the victim. Like Bob said, you take a, murder is taking someone's life who doesn't deserve to have their life taken. It's an act of injustice. Because humans are made in the image of God. And God deserves to have His creation do what He created it to do. When you murder someone, you've denied that person the right to their life, and you've denied God His right to that life. I doubt that any of us would ever think that we had a right to murder someone. But how does murder happen? If we all seem to know that we have no right to take someone's life, how does it happen? Murder happens when one person devalues another and focuses on what they think they deserve more than what God or the victim deserves. Now, I've, I've tried to test drive that sentence around the block for a week now, looking for any exception that, where that wouldn't be true. I just haven't found one yet, so I'm going to stand with it. Uh, maybe you can think of an exception that will make me moderate on this a little bit. But murder, I think, murder happens whenever one person devalues another and focuses on what they themselves think they deserve more than they think about what God deserves or what the victim deserves. Sound reasonable? Think about it. It took me a week to come to the point of feeling pretty good with it. We'll see how long it takes you to tell me I'm wrong or maybe agree with me. It starts with how you think. And who you're... This kind of thinking, where I'm thinking about what I deserve, doesn't always end in murder. But murder always starts with this kind of thinking. Murder starts in the heart. And it starts with devaluing somebody else, which means I'm going to elevate myself, because you can't devaluate somebody else without elevating yourself. And the focus is what I think I deserve. Not what they deserve, and not what God deserves. Most of us can understand what we're talking about here because murder is such an extreme example. But do we see how the root part problem exposed in this scenario with murder plays out in other scenarios? See, last week, Jesus, we, we figured out that Jesus wants us to go deeper. And this week, he's telling us how to. Because we don't have a lot of murderers sitting in this crowd. But we probably do have some of the same kind of thinking that leads to murder. 
And just because I don't commit murder doesn't mean that I'm actually loving. So here's the thing. Following Jesus is going to require us to have a paradigm shift. You guys know what a paradigm is, right? Here's the paradigm shift, or at least one of the paradigms I think we're going to have to confront. To understand what Jesus wants me to do, I need to be more concerned about what God deserves than what I think I deserve. Now that may sound simple and we all agree with it, but how many times do we betray that? That's the digging deeper and getting into our heart, getting past the rules to the heart of God. See, too often I think what we've done is we've allowed ourselves to think of Jesus as kind of a cosmic life coach. Guiding us to a happier, fuller life in the here and now with the promise of heaven someday in the future. Can you think of any kind of a problem with that kind of thinking? Because there are some facts in that thinking that are right. But I would suggest to you that the problem with that is that it puts me at the center of the story. All of a sudden it's about me. When I do that, I'm going to be thinking more about what I deserve probably than what I think about God deserves. And a lot of bad things flow out of that corrupted paradigm. And Jesus wants me to change my thinking. Instead of valuing myself more than others and necessarily devaluing them and being worried about what I get, worried about what I think I deserve, he wants me to do the opposite. He wants me to put others above myself. He wants me to put God at the very top and to start asking the question, okay, I don't like this situation, but what does God deserve? If I'm mistreated or I'm cheated or I'm violated, how often do I go into, but I deserve to be treated better? I did all this for them and they're not doing anything for me. I make a statement like that. Who am I thinking about? What I deserve or what God deserves? I think you'd have to work really hard to spin that into saying that somehow you're thinking about what God deserves. I think what we're thinking about when we say things like that is, I'm thinking about what I deserve. Okay, so you're with me so far? Let's press on. When Jesus says, but I say to you, he's going to say this many times in the sermon, right? You heard it said, but I say to you, we know from last week that he isn't about to change the rules. He's not changing the rules. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, what's he saying about being angry, insulting, and cursing others? If he isn't changing the rules, what is he saying? Okay, stay with me for a minute here. <laughs> to really understand that question, we're going to need to understand that all three of these are examples of having angry contempt for another person. Think about it. The anger, insult, and cursing are all examples of having angry contempt for somebody else. Anger isn't always a problem, is it? It doesn't have to be a problem. But angry contempt is always a problem. 
See, anger doesn't always involve contempt or it doesn't always have to deny another person's value. In Ephesians 4.26, Paul told us, be angry and don't sin. So the possibility exists that you can be both righteous and angry. But where we get in trouble is when we slip over into contempt. And it's a heart-level issue. So what's contempt? Contempt is feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. Feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. How many of us are guilty of this? I don't think there's any murderers in here. Hang on. No, that's right. They they exonerated. That's right. Got off with that one. (laughs) I don't think we have any murderers in here. But do we have the same heart problem? Yeah, so Jesus is going to nail us here today. And I'm telling you right now as we go through this, He's going to nail us again and again because He's not satisfied with us just keeping rules. I can not be a murderer and still not be pleasing God. Still not loving. Still not doing justice. we got to go deeper than the surface of the rules. See, contempt elevates me and it devalues the other person. And it also reveals that I'm thinking about what I deserve rather than what God deserves. If I'm holding another human being in contempt, regardless of the reasons, I guarantee you I'm thinking about what I deserve and I've lost sight of what God deserves. And that's the opposite of doing justice. That's injustice. So what Jesus is saying is, angry contempt for another person is wrong for the same reason that murder is wrong. They're different, but they're wrong for the same reasons. It's injustice. Justice is not cheating someone or violating his or her rights. Justice is one of the big three of what it means to love God and others. And Jesus wants me to see the heart-level connection between murder and contempt. There are other things that offend God besides murder, right? And Jesus wants me to go deeper and to deal with those things too. Do I take holding someone in contempt as seriously as I do murdering someone? Because Jesus is putting them together. How serious would you be about not committing murder? He wants us to be that serious about not holding someone in angry contempt. So this is going to take a little unpacking and a little bit of thinking and a little bit of humility and change to get at the heart problem and to think differently. By the way, murder isn't always the result of anger. You know that, right? There are people who murder for money. There are people who murder for fear. There's there's lots of different reasons why people murder, but there's always an element of contempt. There's always an element of devaluing the other person. For instance, a contract killer values money and themselves more than 
the victim. Right? A racist devalues groups of people while elevating themselves in their group. And an angry person devalues anyone who makes them angry. When was the last time you got you got angry in traffic? We're tempted to go into road rage. Did some form of, hey, I don't deserve that, have a play in why you were angry? And the question that I think Jesus wants us to deal with whenever things like that happen is not what do I deserve, but what does God deserve now that this has happened? He deserves me to do something other than retaliate, right? So how is having contempt for someone not doing justice? Two things. I think I've talked about this well enough. You probably already got it, but I'm just going to go over it real quick. Number one, I'm denying them their right to be valued the way God says they are to be valued. How is having contempt for someone not doing justice? I'm denying them their right to be valued the way God says they're to be valued. Number two, I'm denying God his right to have me bear his image. Why was I created? Why were we created? This goes back to the whole reason why murder is wrong. We were created to image God into the world. And whenever I refuse to be loving, whenever I flip the script and I put myself at the center of the story instead of God, whenever I'm concerned about what I deserve more than what God has deserved, I'm not imaging God, am I? So I got something. Did you bring the... I'm going to try to illustrate this with a mirror and a flashlight. So... We're talking about image bearing here, right? Cassie, I probably shouldn't pick up, pick on you because you're right here with the camera. Whose image does this mirror bear right now? It bears your image. So, if we're talking about being image bearers of God, we're kind of like mirrors, aren't we? This isn't Cassie, but when it's reflecting you, it's bearing your image. As humans, I'm not God, am I? Or you, neither are you. We sometimes get confused on this point. We sometimes act as though we really are, which is, I think, part of the heart problem that Jesus is trying to get at. But we're kind of like mirrors. We're supposed to reflect, right? Jesus is the light. That's what he claims, right? So here's the light. But whenever I do this, I'm holding the light in one place, and I'm making lots of you blink your eyes. What am I doing? I'm reflecting the light. And I'm taking it into places where it's not aimed. What are we supposed to do as image bearers? Exactly that. So when I get cut off in traffic, or I get insulted in the grocery store, or the parking lot, or in my neighborhood, someone doesn't treat me the way that I think I deserve to be treated, i got a choice. I can either switch up change how I think, change my paradigm, think about being an image bearer and try to reflect God and Jesus into the situation by reflecting His love, by being more concerned about what God deserves than what I think I deserve, or I can try to reflect me into the situation. 
Or if you want to go a little bit deeper with the analogy, I may want to reflect my dad. Because he was angry and he'd lose his temper. Or I might want to reflect a hotshot preacher that gets attention by ripping someone a new one. Shooting back when they're shot at. I can go on and on and on with this analogy, but I hope this illustration gets you looking at the seriousness of what we do with this image-bearing quality that God created into us. You will reflect somebody. That's how we're created. If you're with me on that, I'm going to keep, keep moving. When was, the last, when was the last time that you were struggling with anger towards someone? I want you to call it to your mind and get that situation into your head. So take a second. Think of the last time that you were angry. Did you have contempt for them? Did you devalue them? Which were you focused on in that moment? Were you focused on what God deserves or on what you deserve? There are those of us here who struggle with anger. And I think if we're going to get to the heart of this, we may never give in to murder, but God is no more pleased if we still give in to angry contempt. And the question that I'd ask you is, the last time that you gave in to angry contempt, what did you image? What did you put into the world? Did you reflect Jesus into that situation to bring a little light and love? Or did you image somebody else? Jesus is getting all over us this morning, isn't he? Okay, so just as like, if you're with me on that, let's turn to the second and third scenarios. Like I said, Jesus had three scenarios in this. We've only covered one. So let's look at the second one. Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so... This wasn't something that they had heard before. With murder, they had heard that before. But this scenario is an everyday possible scenario that the listeners to this sermon would have understood. Because they were always, they were, they were, it was a Jewish crowd and they would be going to temple to worship all the time. And in this crowd, we come here to do the same thing. We know that worship is bigger than what we do for an hour or so together on Sunday mornings. It's a lifestyle, but there is something unique and special about coming together and doing what we're doing this morning. And Jesus is saying, if you are doing that, even if you're on, on your way, and you know that somebody has something against you, stop. Why does Jesus want me to be reconciled with someone who has a problem with me before I try to worship him? heart. See, Jesus in his scenario says, if you're on the way, and there remember that someone has something against you, what that indicates to me is that you already know somebody wants justice from you, and you haven't given it to them yet. Is that you this morning? Do you know that there's somebody who has a problem with you, they're wanting you to do justice, do right. 
They think you've violated their rights for some reason. Are you willing to worship and ignore that brother or sister? Because Jesus says that bothers him. He's connecting it to murder, guys. We know that murder bothers him. Did you realize that this bothers him too? For the same reason? Now, usually if people are wanting justice from us, it's because we've done something or we haven't done something. But it's not always that the case that we've really done something wrong. You ever had somebody get angry with you and you were innocent? You didn't do anything wrong, but they're still bugged with you? Jesus is addressing what we should do when others want justice from us, whether we've been unjust with them or not. It's not always possible to be reconciled with someone who has something against us, is it? Some people just don't know how to have peace. But God wants us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with Him. It's Micah 6.8. We can't force peace and reconciliation on anyone, but we've got to do our part to at least make it possible. Romans 12.18 bears that out. See, Jesus wants me to care more about resolving injustices than I do about appearing religious or performing rituals. He's getting back into our heart again. It's easy to be satisfied with people thinking we're righteous. It's easier to be satisfied with people thinking than to actually be righteous. I think that's what happened to the Pharisees and the scribes. We'll look at those more in chapter 6 whenever Jesus deals with them. But God wants to get at our heart. Again, what am I focused on? What I deserve? If you've ever been falsely accused and someone's got a problem with you because of something that they don't have a right to be upset with you about, it's kind of easy to go, well, that's their problem. I'm not going to pay any attention. And then to march into church and smile and have a good time as though everything is fine and I'm obedient to the Lord and I haven't got a problem. And that makes God sick. Did you know that? It makes God sick. If you doubt me, check out Proverbs 15.8. He doesn't want us coming and worshiping in His name when in His name worship looks like doing justice. If we're refusing to do justice. He wants us to care more about actually doing what's right than just appearing as though we're doing what's right. If we're in that situation, we need to go and make things right as quick as we can, as quick as we can. Whether or not we've done anything wrong or not, keep in mind that you can't make the other person be okay with you. We can talk more about that particular thing and drill down on it, but right now I just want to give you the idea that God's trying to get at your heart. He's trying to change the way you think. He wants you to value others above yourself because that's how we are like Him. That's how we do justice. That's how we love. Scenario number three. Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court with Him, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Why does Jesus say, come to terms quickly? While you're going with them, 
to court. Anybody here been sued? It's not a fun situation. Sounds radical, if you're familiar with our American jurisprudence, to try to work things out before you go to court. Jesus wants us to to attempt to do that. What's he really getting at? I think there's a parallel passage over in Luke that I think will even help us to understand it even clearer. Luke 12, 57 through 59, Jesus says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what's right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. See, Jesus wants me to willingly do what's right rather than having to be forced by a court. If we're followers of his... We need to care more about the person who's got a problem with us than we do about us. And he says, frankly, if I've done something wrong to my brother and I've not been willing to make it right without being forced to, God isn't going to bail me out of the trouble that comes my way. Now, I invite you to look at that scripture and see if you can make out any other any other interpretation or meaning of what he means by you're not getting out till you pay the last penny. But here's how I take it. If I get into a jam because I've refused to be righteous, God is not going to bail me out of the trouble that comes my way. And how many of us have found ourselves in exactly that position and we cry out to God, please, please. And then we are confused as to why we don't get out of the situation quickly. Maybe it's because we haven't gotten to the heart of the problem yet. And he tells us this is how he's going to handle it. Okay, so what's the main point I should get from these three scenarios in Matthew 5? Number one, I need to be concerned about the things that offend God, like being unloving and being unjust. Not just whether or not I'm breaking a rule, or even if I'm acting within my rights. I mean, there is love mercy not just do justice. And we haven't covered loving mercy yet, but loving mercy has to do with giving up my rights. Just as hard as I'm trying to protect your rights, God wants me to love not making you protect mine. Steep hill, isn't it? In order for me to to do what Jesus is talking about here, I'm going to have to value others above myself. Make sense? If I devalue somebody else, contempt is going to be right there. And I will elevate myself if I put somebody else beneath me. The only way to do this Jesus' way is to value the other person above myself. It's part of what it means to do justice and what it means to love God and love others. Paul picks up on it in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. He said there, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How many things would that eliminate off of our daily to-do list? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, and it does take humility. 
In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out for your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see what Jesus is getting at and what Paul says? Yeah. So where should I start? Where should I start? This is what Jesus wants us to do, right? Where do I start with this? I would suggest the first place to start is taking inventory. Ask questions of yourself like, do I look for unjust attitudes or actions in my life and try to make them right? Or do I wait for someone else to point them out and confront me before I'll do the right thing? Do I feel entitled to things that God says I don't have a right to? Do you have a right to hold a grudge? Wait, wait, you're shaking, you're shaking me off. No. Like I'm trying to throw a fastball and you want the curve. <laughs> okay. No, but how, how do I want to say this? What, what if you've really been abused? What if someone has done something so terrible to you that nobody would expect you to forgive it? Do you have a right to hold a grudge then? No. If someone's murdered someone that you love, what is Jesus telling us we have to do? You get the picture. Being an apprentice of Jesus is what we're talking about here. I know this is meat. This isn't baby food I'm trying to throw out to you. But honestly, I know you guys. And I know you're, most of you are beyond needing to be spoon-fed simple meals. And most of us need the nutrition of real food. And Jesus' teachings are tough. But if we're going to be his apprentices, that means disciple is apprentice. Being an apprentice means that you're training to do the job. You're not going to do the job of bearing his image if you won't deal with these heart-level issues that go beyond keeping the rules. And yeah, Jesus says, you don't have a right to deny forgiveness or to hold a grudge. So it's part of the, the, the taking inventory. Do I, am I feeling entitled to things that God says I don't have a right to? Am I claiming a right to anything right now that God would say I don't have a right to? That could be an attitude. It's not an issue of, of unforgiveness, but I got an attitude. I just don't like this person. I just don't like that church. I don't like that preacher. Well, that's fine as long God, as God says you have a right to feel that way. But are you hanging on to something He says you don't have a right to? Could be a relationship. That I don't have a right to. It could be a debt I'm refusing to pay. It could be a material possession that's getting in my way of following Jesus. See, it's important to do the inventory and to ask yourself these kinds of questions. Here's the second thing I can do is I can start by taking action. Asking questions like, is there anyone that I am having contempt for? I've devalued them. Is there anyone that I currently have contempt for? God deserves that I give up my anger and my contempt towards people who don't treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated. So will I take action or won't I? 
if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I've got to think about what God deserves, not what I think I deserve. And think about what Jesus has done. Does he deserve me to do that? Is there anything that Jesus doesn't deserve us to do? Is someone angry with me? If I haven't tried to make things right, I need to do that now. Whether I've done anything wrong or not. If you haven't done any, if you haven't tried to make it right. If you've tried to make it right and you just can't be at peace. But if you haven't tried to make it right, what are you waiting for? Do I owe anyone a debt? If I do, I need to pay that debt without being forced. Without being forced, I need to pay that debt. Okay, that's what I've got for you this morning. What Jesus asks us to do, maybe you're back to our, our, our theme for this sermon series. You want me to do what? You want me to value somebody else over myself? I mean, some people, sure. But that person? You want me to do what? Yeah. Because what it comes down to is, will we be His image bearers and bring His light into the world? Or are we going to reflect something else which is not light? Okay, if you would, bow with me and we'll pray and we'll be done this morning. Heavenly Father, kind of a tough lesson. Uh, but Father, you're worth everything. We know that your will is right. Even when we can't understand it, even when we can't figure out how it's right, you're still right. Father, all of us here would agree that murder is horrible, and none of us would be a part of that. But you're not making it about something so extreme. It's just as important to you that we deal with this hard issue of contempt because it destroys our humanity. It makes us less than the kind of human that you've created us to be. And Father, we've all done it. We're all at different places struggling with this this morning. Father, I pray that you'll, you'll help us to have the humility to admit it to do the inventory, and then the courage and the faith, the obedience to you, the loyalty to you, to take action on the things that you show us. Father, I pray that you'll show us where we're wrong and help us to trust you to do our best to reflect you into this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.